Okay. Uh, I'm here with uh, Shivam Bhatt. Shivam, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It is our incredible pleasure. Um, Shivam, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for our listeners, could you give a quick introduction of who you are, what you do with the Commander Advisory Group, and how you got into magic? <laughs> a quick introduction. <laughs> hey, quickly run over your entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so um, that's, a, that's a humdinger of a question right there. So uh, I'm, uh, as you said, I'm Shivan Putt. Um, I'm a member of the Commander Advisory Group. So what that means is I'm one of 10 people who uh, goes to the Commander Rules Committee, which are the four gents that are in charge of Commander, and I tell them what I think about the format, what I think problem cards are, or what I think is going well or poorly, and what the community thinks. And I kind of synthesize that into a way that they can um, take the data in, interpret it, and then figure out how they want to direct the format. So if the RC is the Supreme Court, then the CAG is sort of like the lawyers who are arguing cases in front of them. Um, hmm. So... I, um, I'm a big part of that and I'm also very loud on Twitter. So I definitely, uh, <laughs> get the lion's share of, uh, comments from the audience regarding this stuff, which is totally fine. I know what I'm here for. Um, and then, uh, I also put out a podcast every Tuesday called casual magic where I sit and do interviews with people, something similar to this. Okay. Um, you you said yourself it's basically your entire life that you've been involved with magic. Um, I've heard your story through your podcast or other interviews you've done. Uh, when exactly did you get started with the game, and how did it develop into you being the biggest pusher of casual magic <laughs> literally on the planet? That You know, it's wild to think about, right? Like That's pretty <laughs> nuts to just imagine uh, what that actually means. Um, I... I started playing magic in, I think, my seventh grade. So in 1993 or four. So when I started playing magic, the dark had just come out. Revised was either just out or just coming out. Um, so way, way back in the dawn of the history of the game. And in my band class, I heard some kids talking about dragons and fireballs and things. And I thought they were talking about D&D, &D, which I was also very big into. And I went over there and I saw them playing a card game. And my friend's like, yeah, you give me 20 bucks and I'll give you a deck. And he built me a, a blue. And he was like, yeah, there are five colors. Which one do you want? And I saw that like the card there was Shivan Dragon. And I was so mad that it misspelled my name. And I was like, <laughs> whatever the opposite of this red is, I want to be that. So he built me a white, blue, like kind of walls, controlly deck. And that was my first deck. It had a tundra. It had like sea serpents and water elementals and Mahamodi Jins and counterspells. And all that sort of thing. And I played for many years. You know, we played like the traditional every card we own format. And like, um, I played through like Visions Mirage. And I was pretty good. I mean, my friends and I, we were all super into the game. And then like, you know, Mirage came out and they were like, yeah, we're going to be adding phasing and flanking. And I'm like, phasing and flanking. We don't need new mechanics. Magic is perfect. Just give us more magic cards. We don't need all this stuff is going to ruin the game forever. And so we basically kind of just all decided to quit because it was like, there's no way this game's going to survive stuff like phasing and flanking. 
And uh, simultaneously, um, my brother had my deck with all of my duels and my like, you know, super rares and everything in his backpack, and it got lifted in junior high school. So I had a plenty good reason to just stop playing because um, suddenly all my cards were gone. Uh, and it, it was sad, truly sad. You know, you never forget those days when you're like, I lost all of my dual lands. And I'll never, I mean, that was like, now it's something like that deck was something like $12,000 worth of cards. Oh, gosh. Um, but. I mean, back then it was a lot of money too. It was just, right, you know, in the in the tens of dollars and not the thousands of dollars. Um, but, but yeah, so like, you know, I kind of faded out of Magic for a while. I went back to D anD D in college. Um, MagicTheGathering.com started, and I was like, I used to read the TSR website for D anD D stuff, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Magic, I remember that. And Mark Rosewater used to write articles and still does, and they're really interesting. So I just kept reading them. So I kept my, you know, finger in the game, but I didn't go back to playing it. I played other CCGs like Magi Nation or Legend of Five Rings or whatever. And uh, then around Innistrad time, or like, you know, around Duels of the Planeswalker 2011, got me reinterested in the game. Going to PAX, or in, not 2011, maybe 2009, whenever that was. Because I played a lot of Chandelar, and I was like, oh, I love playing Magic. And it's on the Xbox. Sure, I'll give it a try. I remember this game. This was fun. So like 2009, it comes back. Uh, I start digging in again. My friend takes me to my first ever draft and it's for Rise of the Eldrazi. And the uh-huh. first card I see in the rare is Sarkin the Mad. And I'm like, what uh-huh. the hell is this? It's a it's a planeswalker. It's upside down. I thought it had summoning sickness. I didn't understand anything. Um, and then I like, you know, obviously blow out of that draft real bad. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm still reading the site and Innistrad was coming. And I was super like, taken by the idea of zombies and vampires and traditional looking magic and i went back to my store uh, to the open house i did a pre-release i was super hooked worlds was uh in town that year and i was unemployed so i went to worlds and i learned there were five dollar drafts at world championships for innistrad and so i was like i'll go do that i'll learn how to do this but you know who drafts on a wednesday at world championships it's generally like Team Finland or Team Japan or, you know, the best players in the world who are waiting for their tournaments to start. And I'm just a scrub who literally just picked up Magic again for the first time in 15 years. And I'm drafting with like, you know, I'm having full drafts in Japanese because I was still fluent at that time. And it was wild and weird and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just getting blown out of the water. And at the end of the day, it's like nights falling. And I'm like, well, this was fun, but I'm getting screwed and this sucks and I kind of hate it. And I play a sealed draft a sealed deck and I get blown out by my opponent and I'm just like, Oh man, forget it. I'm just going to give up magic. And my opponent's like, well now hang on, let me look at your deck. And he's looking and he's like, well, you've got the general idea. You need 23, you know, little cards and 17 lands. And he kind of walks me through how to build a pool. He's like, you've got the, you've got a good start here. You're doing pretty good. And I was like, wow, man, thank you so much. And that ended up being, uh, you know, th- at the time, uh, Magic the Gathering online champion Reed Duke, who had just smashed me <laughs> at his first world. <laughs> and then I remember because like, like I was, you know, waiting in line to go to the, um, they were doing spell slinging. So you could meet the uh, people who do Magic the Gathering stuff and like, you know, talk to them. And I sat and I played against Mark Rosewater with my Elspeth duels decks and he drew a token soldier for me. And that ended up starting my obsession with getting uh, hand-drawn tokens from members of Watsi R&D. Um, I played against Mark Gottlieb and he taught me why people play fetch lands. I was like, 
why would you just want to lose life for a land that doesn't do anything? This is garbage. Why would you do this? And he's like, well, there's deck thinning and there's color fixing. I'm like, eh, but really, is that important? <laughs> of course, that was the year that Junior um, Iranaga won with um, his insane Amulet Titan, or not Amulet, but it was just like Primeval Titan Kessig Wolfron deck oh, yeah. that took like 40 minutes to play because he would pile shuffle after every time he fetched. And in a primetime deck, you're fetching every turn. So it took like, it took hours to play. But um, yeah, so like that marks when I actually came back to Magic and like became like, I started to get into the community because like D&D, my D&D setting, Dragonlance died. And I was like, okay, well, um, I need something to do. And I bought a box of Innistrad and my wife bought me a box of Dark Ascension and like Corset for Christmas that year or whatever. And I'm just like, wow, this is fun. And I started getting back into it, going to the stores um, my dear friend started making videos about that store and he, he made this YouTube channel about some educator. I think he called himself the professor. And um, so he started making videos about like equipment that you could buy for magic stuff. And I was like, this is weird and trippy. And I discovered magic Twitter and um, like magic Tumblr. And I got super into that. And I also at that time discovered commander which was like, wow, you can take all the cards you remember from your childhood and play them again with your favorite legends. Tim Willoughby had done a web, uh, an article on the website where he put up a Grim Grin Zombies deck. And I was like, I love zombies. And I cracked a Grim Grin in pre-release. Let me build this. And then the Commander Precons had just come out. And so I went to Target and I picked up three of them. And I was hooked. I was completely hooked. And my favorite card of all time was... Uh, Keldoran Outpost is a alliance's land that makes soldier tokens. And I was like, I want to build a deck around this card. And that led to my Tajik Soldiers deck. And from there, discovering Commander, like the first time I discovered Commander, I was on my message boards and my friends and I decided to play Magic by Post. It took, <laughs> we played, we had a five way star game of Commander that we played by Post. It took almost a month and a half of daily posting and stuff to get through the entire game. And by the end of it, I was like, well, I love magic now. And, but what I've always loved about Commander, especially, is that it lets you be creative without having to chase a meta. It lets you be creative without having to always be cutting edge. And more importantly, it allowed you permission to play silly, foolish cards that don't work anywhere else. Mahomodi Jins, you know, a 5-6 flyer vanilla that's literally pointless, right? But in Commander, sure, you can run it. They'll laugh at you, but you can run it. Soul Ring, <laughs> one of my favorite cards of all time. You can't play anywhere else, but you can play in Commander. And mm -hmm. I loved that. I loved the idea of Commander as a format, which is not tournament-driven, which is not competitive-focused, but just a place that you could remember what it was like to be in middle school throwing cards down between math class on the sidewalk when you're just scratching them around and playing 15-way games with all your friends after school because <laughs> you can't decide how to make a pod. And you're like, whatever. I just have mono flare and I fireball all of you. You know, like <laughs> uh, after I make infinite mana with my Enduring Renewal, my Ornithopter and Ashnode's Altar combo. And it's just like, okay, well, Commander, let's just do silly magic and fun magic. But I wasn't like initially just like hardcore mm -hmm. casual. Like that's something like I was, I mean, I'm, I love like super powerful decks. I play super powerful decks. I love like doubling seasons. One of my favorite cards of all time. Right. Like um, I just like to have super like strong and explosive decks. What I don't like 
is the mentality of super efficient decks. I don't like the idea that you have to always be playing the best thing. I don't like having to make the best move every turn. I hate the idea that there is a right way to play. And that's what I fought back against. Cause I started to see that in a lot of things. Like I joined the commander in podcast and I became like, you know, very much just the excited to be here type of guy. Right. Like I love magic for magic's sake. Right. And it would make me sad to see things that I would be like, look, we could do this cool, you know, silly thing. And then someone would pick it up and turn it into like an infinite combo that then wins a pro tour or something. And I'm like, this is like my first ever preview card was, uh, God was, um, God Pharaoh's gift. You remember that very <laughs> oh, casual card. Oh gosh. Like, the, <laughs> yeah you know and i was like oh look i can use this to reanimate like some zombies or something that'll be pretty neat and then of course the next week it's like you know the pro tour deck the pro tour winning deck is gpg and all this but what happened like i've like i've always been a casual i mean i hate the word casual but i've always been a a relaxed kind of magic player like i'm here to chill i'm here to play with my friends i'm here to revel in the joy of hanging out with people over cards and what i've noticed in commander especially in the past like four or five years has been this like especially since like edh rec especially since you know game nights or even before game nights command zone like uh, the command zone effect of uh, optimization of people wanting to have the coolest best thing not just the coolest thing and just be like oh man i gotta beat my friends and the meta going from your table to being the world and then suddenly you want to just make bigger and better and stronger and better and stronger and better decks until mm-hmm. you're winning on turn one, turn two. And I was like, whoa, guys, we're not vintage. This format was made so that I can do stupid things that I play villainous wealth or I can play like, you know, Gilded Lotus and have it mean something. Or I can play like, you know, 12 casting cost junkers that don't live. Like you remember back in the day, we used to look at cards in like, when they would come out in, um, in like, you know, you would look at the set preview and you would see a card and it would be like omniscience or something. And you would be like, oh, what is that? Like 12 mana? That's like some kind of commander card? What is this garbage? Right. I live for that. I want that era of magic where it's like commander cards are the extra trash that you're playing. I want the stuff that you have to dig through the bottom of the barrel at your um, LGS and find this random rare from Mercadian masks that suddenly lets your deck function in a way that you never imagined before. That's what I was here for. And everyone on the, like, once I started getting onto the CAG, I mean, that's why they invited me on the CAG, right? Because like, they're like, look, Shivan's got a perspective on commander, which is very much the kitchen table player, which is the person who's here to just enjoy themselves, play all the cards they own, make a cool theme deck. That's not like the most clever deck in the world. But it's like, oh, look, it's all my tribal sapperlings deck. <laughs> or, oh, look, this is like a deck that's like all just, you know, um, whatever it is, like a treasures deck or something, right? Like, it's not going to be the most efficient, most effective way to play. Like, I'm not one of those people who can just grab two partner commanders for their colors and then use them to be the most optimal deck on the planet. I hate that. I hate uh-huh. the idea that people can just go and take like four or five colors, put the best cards of those colors into that deck and ignore the idea of a theme that bothers me a lot. Like I really, really want commander to be a place where you're exploring. You're not just playing good stuff, you know, Thassa's Oracle ad nauseum, you know, whatever garbage. I want you to be sitting there going like, 
yo, so uh, this is my slime foot spore counters deck or like, you know, tribal tribal or, uh, you know, this is my like fresh volunteers deck where I play all. I want that. I want things like that. I want things where you have to actually sit and work and not even work, but just like put some effort into it, man. Just right. Just make it like fun. Like, I feel like a lot of commander just forgets about fun. Like people have just started optimizing to the point of wanting to win all the time. Right. And winning is fun, but it's not nearly as fun as doing cool things. No, no, no. I mean, I guess that's how I kind of became like, you know, the flag bearer for casual because I saw that. Because look, when you look at content being made, content that is made for magic and commander, especially always leans towards the spiky, always leans towards the optimized, always leans towards the uber efficient CEDH style of stuff because people always want to know what is the card I should be playing instead of the card I'm playing. What is the new stuff? What is the best stuff? What is the hot stuff? And what I realized is that we have lost track of like the kitchen table player who just wants to build, who just found a Soren and wants to build a vampire's deck, right? Like, you know, I want those players to also have a voice. And that's kind of what I found that my niche is in the community is that look, everybody can sit and tell you to play fast as Oracle or dark sided extortionist. Everybody can sit there and say like, yeah, Najila or Goto helm or whatever, but not everybody's doing that. Right. Like there right. are people out there who are sitting there going like, yo, I've got a deck that's all about curses, right? Like I've got <laughs> yes. a deck that's all about like playing. Um, like I've built an entire deck based around star Wars or on dragon ball <laughs> Z, you know, like I want those people to still have a voice in the community. Well, going back to what you said about the shift over the last three or four years strongly um, uh, in the mentality of Commander, switching from this incredibly silly, dirtily nonsense to a more competitive mindset, not CEDH specifically, just more competitive in general. Um, You're not the only person who's expressed those concerns, of course. And a lot of the people who are expressing them are kind of pointing the finger a little bit at wizards because of the pre-cons they're releasing. It Mm -hmm. used to be just annually. Now it's Mm -hmm. four times a year. Um, And a a large part of that is the new singles they make. Like you named at least two uh, earlier, including Doxi Extortionist. Do you share in that same general opinion that wizards maybe needs to scale back the power in that vein? Um, in that same 100%. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, in that same vein, do you, at the rate we're going now, do you see us returning to a mindset as a, as a format community to that kitchen table, silly, dirtily nonsense? So here's the problem with, right? Like, um, commander is an eternal format. When you add cards to commander, they never leave. Mm. And with the exception of like maybe 40 cards over the 30,000 magic cards that exist, Commander is a place where if a card is printed, it is now there. And so once that genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in there. And um, what, like I've talked to Wizards people about this. One of like, I guess part of the, the upside of being a content creator slash like, you know, CAG members that I get to have access to these guys. And one of the, concerns i've brought up is that 
a lot of the people who've been designing these precons and stuff are spikes. They're people who are making, who are like former Pro Tour grinders. That's the guys who make up R&D in the first place. These are people who are used to making optimized standard sets for standard and tournament practices. And when they turn their heads to like Commander, they look at Commander and they're like, okay, well, what's Commander missing? And they're like, well, Commander needs a two mono rock. Okay, let's make Arcane Signet, right? And immediately <laughs> obliviate the entire like three mono rock spectrum, all the Signets, all the other random, like, and you you see things like consider like let's go back in time a smidge to the original precons right not just the original like let's say the 2013 2014 precons where they started making experiments for other cards and we got things like true name nemesis in a commander precon <laughs> we got things like hornet queen and like we you know we get like all the like flusterstorm the oh, guys yeah. making flusterstorm and true name nemesis are not the people who are playing kitchen table dirtle magic right <laughs> like those are not kitchen table dirtle cards no they're like, not you don't make some of the strongest cards of all. i mean like it, i mean over time if you look at all these precons they've started to soften them a little bit mm -hmm. but a lot of these cards are still being made for with like you know grander formats in mind to do absurd things and when they're looking at commander they're like oh well you know what I need Commander to be faster. I need Commander to be stronger. So they start making faster, stronger, crazier, overpowered cards. You get things like, I mean, I think the the height of this, the height of this madness was the years that we got like Dockside Extortionist, which was specifically made to be a high-powered level Commander card. Mm -hmm. And then like uh, the Brawl decks. The Brawl <sighs> decks are basically the peak of bad design for Commander despite the fact that I absolutely love Corvald, Corvald is one of the worst generals ever made for commander because it is an all in one absurd power engine. Mm -hmm. Tulane is the poster child for literal, just play magic, get reward, right? Arcane <laughs> Signet came out of that deck. Um, Arcane Signet, Arcane Signet is an essay by itself of mistakes that you've made because <laughs> you can't unmake Arcane Signet. You can't sit there and suddenly tell people, okay, well, we gave you a two mono mono rock, but we need to take it back and you guys need to go back to three and slow the game down. Like, right. you can't do that. And it sucks. It sucks a lot because like, um, they're like, well, you allow Soul Ring. I'm like, Soul Ring was fine when it was literally just Soul Ring. But suddenly when they're reprinting Monocrypt and Soul Ring and then suddenly they're putting like a uh, freaking arcane signets everywhere they're making hyper efficient creatures for one or two treasures by the pound suddenly soul ring is now not just like oh look at that really cool card from the ancient days suddenly it's just like the crown jewel of the suite of nonsense that's hyper busted right it's completely right. just like how do you like how do you fix this how do you pull back from a set that's just completely insane and that's really really difficult to do that's one of the big problems we have in commander right now is that you've you boned us how do we unbone ourselves um and that's where you end up with i think wati realized this too because they started pulling back and you start to see things in um who the heck do those brawl decks go anyways you start to see things in the uh the new commander decks like recently that they've started putting more um they've started slowing it down they've started making less all-purpose all-in-one always win cards mm -hmm. and they've started making more niche more specialized 
more focused cards that are still strong, still fun, but they force you to, they, they prevent you from, or not prevent you, but they try to direct you in a way that doesn't make you want to just go good stuff all the time. Like, if you look at uh, recently, AFR Commander came out with a component pouch. Have you seen this card? Uh, I don't think I have, no. So component pouch is a three mana artifact, and it says uh, tap, remove a component counter from component pouch, add two mana of different colors. And then it also has tap, roll a d20. One to nine, you put a component counter on it. Ten to twenty, you put two component counters on it. So hmm. at best, it's sort of like a refillable, restackable coalition relic. Right. It'll let you get two mana of different colors, but you can refill it with a d20 roll. It's really fun. It's really useful. And it's three mana, so it's sort of slowing you down a smidge, right? right. Or in like um, these um, in the the Silver Quill decks, not Silver Quill, the Strixhaven Commander decks, they put out a Cursed Mirror, which is a two in a blue, three uh, two in a red mana rock, which is tapped at red, and as it enters the battlefield, it becomes a clone of any creature until the end of turn with haste. Like huh. that is really awesome. That's a mana rock. It accelerates you, but it does something cool. And it encourages you to play a three mana uh, rock instead of just going uh, for like, you know, the the stupid like thought vessels or like other boring two mana rocks of the world. The And I'm like, this, we need more of this. We need more things like, um, you know, clock of, what the heck, Midnight Clock from yes. Eldraine, which was the, it's a mana rock that also draws you cards, right? Like that's hilarious and fun. Um we need more of that. We need, I think wizards realized that they accelerated way too far with, especially with the, um, with the partners with Thrasios and Timna, mm -hmm. they accelerated too far with, um, Doxide extortionist with Thassa's Oracle with, uh, you know, Hull Breacher and, you know, opposition <laughs> agent jeweled Lotus. And I think in the next three or four years, we're going to start to see, or see commander ratchet back. But, mm -hmm. The problem is these cards exist. The problem right. is they're putting out so many cards that they have to keep making more cards and they have to keep making better, flashier cards that you're going to want to buy. And that by itself just means that we're going to be stuck in this race. And no, I don't think that people like me who want to play things like Sea Serpent and Commander are going to have a good time. Because <laughs> guess what? Who's your Sea Serpent Commander now? AC. No, really? Is it not Coma? Whoops, I mean Eryxmethes. Pick your Simic, right? Like, it's absurd at this point. It is completely absurd. And, I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, like a get-off-my-lawn boomer, but really, <laughs> that's the world we live in right now is, like, Commander is a is accelerated to the point that it's, like, we're just, uh, I mean, the best I can do is try to encourage people to think differently. Because what I'm saying is, because like a lot of times people are like, oh, even you hate like, you know, CEDH or whatever. And I did a long time ago. I did. Absolutely. Because I was like, <laughs> look at these guys. Because I thought they were pub stompers. But it turns out, no, pub stomping is its own breed of bad. Right. Um, CEDH players want to play against CEDH players. They want to have really interactive, really competitive, really cutthroat play against people who are going to give them the experience they want. Right. They don't want to sit and play against people who are bad at magic. That's not fun for them. Similarly, I don't want to sit and play against your, you know, your um, Grand Arbiter Stacks deck or your like Turbo Nas deck or whatever. Um, I want to sit and play Dirtletron. 
And what I've learned is that we need to change our mentality and the way we look at magic. Instead of being like, oh yeah, your deck on a one to 10 scale or, oh, your deck on a power level scale. You need to think about what is the experience I want? Mm -hmm. What is the thing I'm looking for when I sit down to a table of commander? Do I want to have cutthroat interaction heavy? We're always focused on the cards. There's no shenanigans. We're playing here a serious game of magic. Or do we want, you know lasagna tears silly stuff <laughs> whoops it's my turn hang on let me finish my words with friends turn i'll be right back uh you know level of just we're <laughs> hanging out and magic is a thing that's happening right like right that is what experience are you looking for and if we can find what experience we're looking for we can find what table to sit at and if we can find what table we're sitting at then we can ensure that everybody's having the best possible time because that's all i want i want people to have the best time they can have playing commander and i just want to know what kind of commander they want to play so they can make sure that they're going to have the kind of game that they want to have. And that means that even if we end up in a world where the game is hella optimized and hella fast and just psychosomatic attic insane, I still want you to be able to have, you know, chair tribal versus like <laughs> noggle tribal. And like, <laughs> I want you to be able to sit there and play your like mid tier reanimator deck and not worry about somebody just coming out and like turboing you out of the game. I want, to have like if you're going to be bringing elspeth and um making all your land indestructible and then casting armageddon let's talk about that before you do that and so that we can make sure that we're both gonna have a good time right right um all right changing gears a little bit uh you've been on the keg since the since that particular body was announced right yes since the first iteration of the Cag. Um and this year alone we've seen four people get added to it. Uh can you yes. can you walk through a little bit about how that conversation goes and how much influence the CAG has in getting new people added to it? Is that just an RC decision or do you all get a vote as well? Walk you through how people get added onto the CAG? Well, basically, yes, if that's okay. Okay, uh, well, yeah, so initially we started with uh, seven people on the CAG, and uh, Ron Foster, who was one of the initial members, uh, got a job at a different company, and his uh, job did not provide for him to have an ability to have a say in magic. It was like, you know, conflict of interest type thing, mm -hmm. so he left the CAG, and we were like, okay, well, there's six of us now. And the thing is, like, we're a pretty diverse set of people in terms of just, like, gender and ethnicity and things but we were all very america centric like mm -hmm. we were all very much like based in north america uh charlotte is based out of finland so she kind of straddles the two but she's north american by by uh origin so it was kind of like it's very much biased towards the english speakers and we were like you know the cag has been a really good idea it's been great to help bring understanding and like uh help develop commander for the rc and they're like, you know what? It would be cool if we had more people. And part of that has also been like us saying, hey, uh, you know, we need more women on the CAG. Or it would be great to have more people from outside of America on the CAG. Or like people from different, uh, you know, walks of life or different kind of just approaches to Commander. Because we had like, we have the wide swaths. We have like from Rachel, who is like hyper, hyper, like she plays vintage, like, like professionally played vintage before she worked at Watsi, and like that's her gimmick is like super hardcore edh 
versus me <laughs> and like uh, people who are and like Stibbs and Olivia who play much lower tier. Well, Olivia played pretty cutthroat, let's be real. But like Stibbs <laughs> and I who play way 2011 era, like you know EDH, and uh, everything in between. Like Josh Lee Kwai, obviously you know what he plays like. Everybody knows right. what he plays like. He's got the most watched EDH show on the world. Um, but we were like, hey, it would be really good to add more diversity and add more like racial diversity, add more gender diversity. Um, and because it's hard for like, like me and Josh were talking early in January or something. We we're like, look, man, we're two of the most visible ethnicities here. Like we were the only non-white people on the CAG effectively. And it was, it's like, it's a big burden to be that responsibility for the community to be like the entire minority representation. And we're Asians. We're not like, uh, you know, we don't cover black people or Hispanic people or anything like that. And, um, or even, you know, any of the other 10,000 ethnicities that play EDH. And so they were like, okay, well, um, we're going to go and explore how to bring people onto the CAG. Because it was kind of a decision. They're like, we don't want too many voices in there. Because if there are too many people giving advice, then nothing gets done, right? Like having a small core group of people means that we have a better way of controlling the discussion of understanding and hearing people. Otherwise, people are just talking, right? Like people are just talking and we don't really have a good general idea. But even then, like Olivia wasn't on the original CAG. She was added afterwards, like immediately afterwards, but like afterwards. And she was one of the best additions we've had. But uh, when we got to that first batch of ads, we added um, Jim Lepage, who is uh, the Spike Feeders. He's like... He was our CEDH representative, but he's not really a CEDH representative because he definitely <laughs> plays all kinds of commander. He was brought on because he's just an absolute brilliant thinker and theorizer for commander. But when it was when we were having our discussions about banning Flash, he was one of the most level-headed and open voices we could talk to from that community that helped us understand how to reach out to this group of players that were previously not in our radar. And so bringing him on was kind of like a no-brainer because he knows, he knew what he was talking about and he's a really, really incredible addition. And then they brought on two other people, um, Daquan Watson, who is basically like, he was brought on because we needed to have a black person on the keg. We did. Like, not even for being diversity sake, but just because we need to represent everybody who plays magic. And He's got mm-hmm. this podcast called Colors of Magic, which is absolutely fantastic and speaks about like issues that people of color face playing the game. But he's also been part of Magic since the very beginning. But he's even worked at Watsi. He's been like, you know, on the retail side. He's been an organizer. He's run tournaments. He knows EDH and the game inside and out. And mm-hmm. he's from an underrepresented group. And it's like, this is a home run. Mm-hmm. And the third member that we had added was Greg Sablin, who is a He's a dude from uh, Guam who lives currently in Japan. And we brought him on because um, he, Ron Foster used to live in Japan, or lived in Japan, and he was our connection to Japanese magic. But since he left, we didn't have a connection into there. And Japan's obviously a huge magic market. So Greg is like, lives there. He's got a family there. And he is a brilliant commander thinker. He's got a lot of really good ideas. He's not a content creator either. And that was one of the best uh, things about him is that, A, this is a totally unknown voice who is not a content <laughs> creator, who's not, you know, deeply enmeshed in the nonsense that the rest of us live in. 
and he is, lives in Japan. He's got an eye to a different culture of magic. And he's a part of the military. And Sheldon, being a military man, absolutely loved that. Because it turns out that EDH is absurdly popular in the United States military. And so having that yeah. kind of representation made him happy. And it also just gave a different voice for us to be able to speak to a different audience of players. And that was like kind of the first batch. And what they do is they'll go to these people, they'll talk to them, and then they'll come to us and say, do you have any objections or any thoughts about these people? And then we give them our thoughts and objections or our suggestions about names to talk to. And, but it's most, mostly it's going to be a rules committee decision because they're the ones who are taking the advice. We're just the ones giving it. And if we don't get along, that's less important than if they don't agree with the person. Right. And right. they're not looking for, it's not like the rules committee is looking for people that are just going to sit there and parrot, uh, you know, and like puff them up and give them like, all, Oh, you're doing such a great job. They want people to challenge them, but they want to hear voices from up and down the street. And if, if we disagree, that's better than if we all agree, because if we disagree, that means they're getting a perspective shift, right? Like they're getting mm -hmm. different views on the same problem. And by and large, the CAG disagrees on a lot of things. Like nearly every banning. I mean, some bannings have been kind of unanimous. Like Flash was not unanimous, but it, it eventually got there. But like, um, actually, no, even then it didn't get there. There were still a few people who were holding out. But like, for the most part, there's a lot of these that are like, somebody will be like, like Josh will be like, absolutely not, don't ban anything. Um, and there's other people who are like, why would you take these cards away from the high power tables and want them? And then there's other people like me who are like, the band list is like a third of the size it needs to be. And <laughs> we should be expanding it. But um, I understand the many reasons why we don't, because it would be politically terrible to expand the band list. <laughs> right? But, right. So, um, I mean, it's wild. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to sit there and think about like all the different layers that go into like what we do. But when it came to like the second batch of additions, which was just recently, mm -hmm. where we added Rachel Weeks, we added Chris and Gregory, and we added uh, uh, Ellie Rice, that was like a to up the diversity and to up the balance of women to men, um, mm -hmm. which is something that we all supported and desperately needed. B, Kristen is one of the most brilliant minds in EDH. She's a based in England, which means she's got a totally different perspective than the rest of us do. B. Her articles are genius. If you haven't read Kristen's stuff on like Hipster to the Coast or Card Kingdom or any of the billion places that she writes, it is absolutely worth it. She's one of my one of my like guiding posts for Commander in terms of just how we think about the game. And Rachel Weeks, she's a delightful, joyful podcaster who's also kind of hanging down on the the casual scrubs <laughs> with me. But like she played a lot of Commander with uh, the RC on the um on their Thursday streams and they got to know her and we're like, wow, you're like a perspective we don't have. You're really smart and you aim for at the format in a direction that we don't come from. So it brought, it was just like genius. It was really, really cool. And then um, Ellie, Ellie was one of the people that like, they came to us in January and they're like, Hey, what would you think about expanding the CAG? And I was like, I think you should put Kristen and Ellie on there. And I also mentioned some other names and I was like, but Kristen and Ellie are like absolutely brilliant because Ellie is, she comes to magic from a very different direction. 
like her power, her decks are hardcore power level, but she also understands building with like, you know, budgetary limitations also understands the social costs of playing magic, the mental costs of playing magic, what it's like to actually approach this game as a woman, as a woman of color. And she's brilliant. She is hella smart. Her commentary is really good. Her gameplay is really strong. She knows everything. And I was like, man, if I need to, I will leave the CAG so that you could put Ellie on, so that you could put like someone like Kristen on. <laughs> and they're like, we don't need you to leave. We think you're fine. We want you to stay, but we will also bring these other people on. <laughs> and I'm like, good, good. Yeah. I don't know. I think like there's like maybe one or two other people I would want to have on the CAG, but I also want to see us expand into like bringing a Brazilian on or bringing somebody from like the Thai magic community or the Filipino magic community or like Russian magic, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to see somebody from the far reaches of magic that we don't like, give me someone from like the boondocks of Italy, like somebody who's playing magic in like deep villages. That, like, I want to know what they think about the game. Cause I know what right. Americans think about the game. You know, I want to know what else there is. And our job is to make sure that the RC knows what they're talking about and keeps them on track. And the RC, like the RC is so smart. Like they're so versed in the game and they're just like, it's easy to say like, well, before I joined the keg, I sat there and I was like, these guys are the biggest idiots in the world. They'll buy any <laughs> card that Sheldon loses to. This is like, what do they know about commander anyways? These guys are just scrubs. And then I got on and I'm like, Oh, I am not only the wrongest wrong I've ever been, but I am hella wrong. Like these guys have, like a hundred years of like magic experience between them. Like the fact that Toby, like whenever someone's like, Oh, you guys don't know competitive magic at all. I'm like, Sheldon was literally the highest ranking judge for decades. Toby writes the rules for tournament play. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> Scott runs organized play. Like what do you want? <laughs> and Gavin is absolutely like, he was a head judge for a very long time. And he's also incredibly insightful and just knows magic. And these guys understand things like, how do we write the rules, right? Like, how do we actually make this product, like, how do we make this card work for this format? It is absurdly difficult. You have no idea how hard it is to, like, actually, because, like, every time a card comes out, these guys have to go and talk to, like, the actual rules managers and figure out what that interaction means. Like, when that stupid bug came out in the bug Planeswalker in Modern Horizons 2, uh, Grist, Grist, Mill, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, Grist, Gristle, Gristle brand. Um, <laughs> but that thing is like, that thing is like outside of play. This is a one-one bug creature, which lets it be a commander. The yep. kind of shenanigans that the RC had to do with the rules, the actual rules writers of Magic, to sit there and say like, how does how does this work such that we're not telling R&D what to make, but this is also not going to completely destabilize Commander forever? <laughs> well, how do we do this? And it's, or like, or even companions, or like, you know, things like death triggers, which was one of the big rules that we changed recently, mm-hmm. uh, which was like, you know, before, when your Commander died, you put him back in the command zone. That is a replacement effect. It skips going to the graveyard and goes straight to your command zone. And R&D was like, can you please change this so that it hits the graveyard so that we can have commanders that say when this goes to the graveyard or when this dies, cool things happen. Because that opens up a ton of design space. And 
it took them a long time to figure it out. And the RC and uh, the um, and Wizard R&D were working on this for years. And then when the CAG was founded, I was like, can you guys tell me why my Alenda deck doesn't work the way everybody thinks it should? And they're like, oh, you know, let's fix this problem we've been working on for years. And so they finally went and they they went and made it work. And what happened, of course, is that Reddit then went and said, Shivam doesn't know anything about magic. He doesn't understand how the rules work because he thought the death triggers worked. I'm like, no, I'm just <laughs> representing the fact that the vast majority of table players want this to work one way and the rules work another way. I am advising right. you to clear it up. And they did. And it did. Um, but like, when you think about what the CAG does, a important thing to, or like an easy example is Lutri, right? Uh, Lutri, the only day zero ban in the history of Commander. <laughs> um, they came to us like a week or two weeks before pre-release and was like, hey, uh, so here's a card coming out in Ikoria. We haven't, they hadn't showed us companions yet. We didn't know what companions were. No, they hadn't been revealed, but they're like, Wizard R&D has come to us with this card. I need you to look at this card and I need you to tell us what you think. And we look at this and we're like, what is a companion? <laughs> and then we're like, what the hell do you mean? Every red, blue X deck can just play this for free. And um, because the original companion rules had no pay to put into your hand thing, it was just free out of the game. And we had hours and hours of lengthy arguments and debates about this card from everything from let's ban the entire mechanic and make these work like normal legends to let's leave it rules as written to let's just ban Lutri because it's going to be an auto include. And then it was like, well, do we ban Lutri in our normal, like after the pre-release or do we ban it right at announcement? And I was like, if we don't ban this at announcement, some kid is going to take their $50 at the pre-release, walk up and buy a shiny foil alt art Lutri and come home and find out on Monday that it's banned. And that is the worst feeling in the world. And so we were like, we have to make a decision to day zero ban this. And I don't want to do it. Nobody wants to do it because that's not an egg you want to open. Uh, but it ended up being the right thing to do because mm -hmm. it's not like Wizard R&D came to us and said, look, we made this for standard. This is not going to work with your format. We're banning it in Brawl. We're leaving it up to you to do to decide what you want to do in Commander. But I'm just letting you know this is not going to work for you. I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you make a card that you know will not work in the most popular way people play Magic? And then why would you put an otter on it? Why would you make the first legendary otter into this card you know is going to be auto-banned from Commander? If Lutri had been an ooze, no one would have complained. I don't know. There are a lot That's of ooze tribal enthusiasts out there. If Lutri had looked like Obosh the Prey Piercer, some spiky blob, I don't think anybody would be crying that you don't get to play your cute Obosh the Prey Piercer <laughs> Lutri, right? But Lutri is an otter, and it's the first legendary otter in Magic, and we took it away day zero because we're bad meanies. Um, moving on to uh, the next thing. Uh, in addition to the two new, the two latest CAG editions, that same meeting also came away with the Holbreacher ban, which, aside from Lutri, might have just been the most uh, hotly debated ban in the last couple of years, at least, for the community, at least on Twitter, anyway. Um, was that one, was the Holbreacher ban I something? Know, Paradox Engine. Oh god! Pretty hardcore. That's oh god. Was that just a couple <laughs> years ago? Yeah, right at the beginning of the keg. Oh man, the panini is throwing off my perception of time so bad. Right. 
That was in the before times. Like, I um, mean, Iona was a big one. Paradox Engine. <laughs> I, I don't think Iona was quite as heated, though. <laughs> no, not as much. But whenever we ban something in Commander, people get real, real upset. However, however, like the Flash, Flash was one of the most universally kind of just welcomed bands like the entire cda community was like yes thank you and then two people were like <laughs> no my flash deck and everybody was like shut up sit down um <laughs> but but hull breacher here's the thing a lot of the community wanted hull breacher gone mm-hmm. a lot of the community wanted hull breacher gone it was one of those cards where it's like there were people who were trying to defend hull breacher and like <laughs> I can't, I can't even like, it was one of the, I mean, yeah, people got mad about it or whatever on uh, Twitter, but by and large, the response has been one of those. Yeah. I saw that one coming. Like yep. everybody, I mean, I think people are more mad that they spent money on the card than the fact that the card got banned because everybody looked at that and was like, this is not okay. This card is not okay. <laughs> it doesn't make for fun play. I mean, it, it, the Hull Breacher ban, like the Hull Breacher was one of those cards where we were like, when Commander Legends came out, we looked at Oppo Agent, Jeweled Lotus, and Hull Breacher. And even uh, people were who like want nothing banned were like, this card is one of the worst design cards ever, and I don't like it in Commander. We shouldn't ban it, but it is a miserable pile of crap. And I was like, <laughs> wait, we shouldn't ban it? <laughs> but, and... And when you look at though, it's like it really is just a complete garbage card. Like this card is, there's like three or four word tweaks you could have made to make this card fine. If it's right. until end of turn, or if it was if instead of drawing, opponent gets treasure instead, or you know, if like any any sort of like that, we've seen them all on Twitter a million different ways it could work. Yeah, but instead, this card. People were like, oh, yeah, you know, this card is great for stopping, uh, you know, opposing draws or whatever. Yeah. You know, what it's actually being used for is offensively stopping you from playing the game. Like, people would use it and then start just wheeling off and just put you into locks that would put them 21 cards ahead and put you zero cards ahead. And then you would never be able to play again. And one of the, like, I guess, unwritten rules of Commander is that if a card says that somebody doesn't get to play, we're not going to let that card stay in the format. <laughs> like that is fundamentally like, I think if you look at all the bands we've ever done, the core underlying ideal here is this card stops somebody from playing. Not, I don't mean winning. I don't care if you win or not, but I mean, you're going to spend the next 45 minutes either doing nothing locked out of the game or just watching someone solitaire off. And that is not okay for a right. socially driven format. That's not okay. Like Paradox Engine, everyone's like, Paradox Engine is fine. You know, the people who were just playing it wrong, they were girdling too bad. I'm like, dude, Paradox Engine, we didn't ban it because you were using it wrong. We banned it because a person sitting two seats down from you has now waited an hour and a half for their turn to come around. Yep. Right? Like, that is not okay. That's not okay. And um, Iona is like one of those cards, like, one person doesn't get to play the game. And they're like, yeah, but you can political your way out of it. I'm like, yeah, but one person doesn't get to play the game. Hull Breacher is you don't get to play the game because nobody is putting Hull Breacher in a deck that doesn't have Windfall, doesn't have Wheel of Fortune, doesn't have Time Twister, all this garbage in it, right? Like people aren't using Hull Breacher fairly 
I mean, maybe like <laughs> one or two merfolk dedicated merfolk players are sitting there like, yeah, man, I got Breacher and I got Fast as Oracle. It's great. My deck is awesome. And I, to them, I am sorry. I apologize <laughs> that your tribal deck is one card down. But it was too it was too fishy to live. Um, but like, Kurt, we don't. I mean, the the Commander Rules Committee, the Commander Rules Committee is one of the most conservative bodies in Magic. They like we don't like to ban things even two years before they come out. Paradox Engine was a card everybody knew was a problem from like day one, and they were like, yeah, yeah we're going to give it two years. You know, Grizzle Brand was a problem from day one, and they're like, we're going to give it a whole cycle, like. Hull Breacher had a bunch of things going against it. One, it came out in the Commander Focus set. They made it for us. Two, it came out during Pandemic and during like the draft set when nobody got to draft it and nobody got a Pandemic. And people are only just now starting to get to play again in person. But we could see even just on Spell Table how this thing was working. And it's like, okay, well, do we want to like just let this dominate the game for a year when people are very, very unhappy about it should we just ban every wheel card because they're just being used offensively or should we just ban this one card and it was a hard decision i was like i could see it like a lot of the people on the cag were like yo we could see this just living another turn and i was like i don't want it to live another turn i don't want people to just buy more of it i don't want people to think that this is the kind of thing that's okay for commander and there were other people who were like leave the card alone man it's it's just gonna bother high level table i mean when you look at, and everyone's like, well, why didn't you ban Thassa's Oracle? Why didn't you ban Dockside? Well, Thassa's Oracle gets played at tables that can handle Thassa's Oracle, right? Like Thassa's Oracle gets played at CEDH tables doing high-level things where you're expecting it, you've got interaction, you've got ways to play around it, through it, whatever, your own combos to go with. People at that level want that kind of difficulty challenge. Hull Breacher was making people at every level unhappy. If right. Thassa's Oracle had the ubiquity that Hull Breacher did, then we would obliterate Thassa's Oracle, right? Like, if Dockside was hitting the bottom tables the way it was hitting the top tables, we and Dockside really is just an accelerator. It's not even, like, what's gross is what you end up doing with the mana. And if you're me, you're using the mana to just, like, win with Revel in Riches or do something silly. Like, And if you're, you know, at high level, you're using that mana to just, like, blow people out or whatever. Um, it's... Big mana is not the problem. It's what you end up doing with it. Right. Like, we're not looking for the enablers. We're looking for the payoffs. Because there's a dime a dozen enablers in Magic. In, in oh, yeah. It's the payoffs that are the problem. And like Hull Breacher was a problem. For sure. The the enablers, all the wheels. Wheels are great. They're fun. They're weird. They do weird things. Yeah, sometimes they suck. Like Riel or like, you know, Locust God. I get it. Totally miserable with wheels. However, like... And like Teferi's Puzzle Box. Yeah, don't do that. Don't make wheels in Teferi's Puzzle Box. Mm -hmm. But like we got rid of freaking Leovold because of the same reason. We got rid of Hallbreacher because it stops you from playing the game in a really unfun way. Right. And all of that makes complete and perfect sense. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like people are like, well, why did you leave Narset then? Or um, Notion Thief. And I'm like, Notion Thief is two colors and it's been out forever. Nobody plays Notion Thief that much. It's fine. It annoys you, but it's not going to be like <laughs> Hall Breacher, which is monocolor that goes into red-blue all the time. And Narsa is a Planeswalker. Planeswalkers die to a stiff breeze. Right? Like, <laughs> especially the ones that can't go up. It only oh, yeah. goes down. Like, Narsa is, is annoying, 
but it's not nearly Hall Breacher. No, not the same. Um, changing tracks completely now. We're going. We're, we're shifting away from Commander and into just Wizards and the game of Magic as a whole. Um, you, as I said before, you are just generally an opinionated person when it comes to Twitter regarding magic regarding wizards regarding some of the decisions they make both with the game and with the company and with the story um you have been one of the people leading the charge even uh in the public eye to for wizards to do better about representation both within the company and within the game itself uh whether that be story just visual representation on the cards what have you how do you think Wizards has been doing the last few months, especially let's just say even let's just say since January. Um, so over the course of this year, do you think Wizards has been actually trying to do better? And what is the biggest area you think they could improve on? Hmm. So here's the thing, right? Like, um, it's a challenge because there's a couple of different things here. One is in game since Kaladesh forward, they've gotten significantly better about representation within the game itself. I mean, within the game itself, they've done much better job of having a diversity of body types of races of, of, uh, you know, relationships of all these kinds of like sorts of things that you would want to see. People are for the first time seeing themselves reflected in the game in myriad different ways, not just the one token character. And I think that's wonderful. I think it's absolutely fantastic what they've done. I think there's more they can do and more places they can go, but at least in that regard, they've started making the direction right. Now, I mean, sometimes they do things like a little, sometimes they miss, sometimes you get things like Killian Lou. Sometimes <laughs> you get things like Kaladesh and it's like, okay, well, you know, uh, we tried. Um, but they're at least trying and they're making strides. There's better things happening. Um, and I give them credit where credit is due. However, one of the problems is that externally, like Wizard is doing real bad with race, right? Like all of their, um, I mean, they're an American focused company. I don't expect them to not have Americans, but all of their spokespeople are all cis white males, mostly. Not all. I mean, I hesitate to say that, but for the majority of them. And that's like a challenge. And like in R and D there's a whole lot of white man dude going around. And there's a lot of just like cultural concepts that they're just whiffing on. And when they went back in time to try to go and like ban a bunch of random cards. Okay. Yeah, fine. That's course correction. But you knew those cards were there for 30 years. Why would you all of a sudden go out of nowhere and just pick seven cards at random seemingly uh, to not, to ban this and like not really give us direction or updates. But I've been talking to a lot of wizards people about this because like you said, I am very loud and they take <laughs> notice. And that means that there's a lot of conversations I've been having that are like off the record kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. And one of the big issues is that like Wati has spent the past year very heavily recruiting and investing in bringing on people into the company in roles up and down the company from R&D to development to like the, the uh, digital side, creative side, everything that represent a wide swath of, of 
you know, people. They've brought on a lot of women, a lot of people of color. However, and this is like one of the serious things is that there are HR difficulties that prevent them from just saying, hey, look, we hired a bunch of people, right? Like you don't want to just put like, here's a list of all the brown people that we hired and put it on the right. internet with a big picture and then link to all their Twitter feeds because you know what you're doing? You're setting them up to be brigaded and harassed off the internet, right? Like right. you're setting them up to get thugged. Like I was talking to Blake Rasmussen about this and he's like, look, man, I'm a cis white guy. That means I can sit here and I can take all the crap that people throw at me and I can just deal with it because they're not going to be hitting me with the velocity that they would aim at you. And that's true. And that's like just the sad reality of the game is that we're in a world where we need to see more representation within the company, but we can't do it in a way that leaves people unprotected, right? Like we can't right. do this in a way that makes people into a target because that's not, that's not the goal here. We're not trying to make new targets for people to attack. We're trying to find a way to freshen up and broaden up the game. And that's a challenge, right? Like they mm. hired on a new diversity and inclusion, uh, like specialist vice president level character. And I would love to see her do more articles and stuff and like explain more about their diversity initiatives. Right. And one of the other problems is like the, one of the other criticisms I've heard from internally is like, I don't want to do something like this where people are just going to say, Oh, you got to just do it for the kudos. You're just doing it for the internet points. Oh, look, it's like, well, look, that's going to happen though. That's going to happen because there's going to be chuds all the time. We're going to sit there and say like, oh, you're just being woke for publicity. I'm like, I don't care what they're being woke for as long as they're being woke. I don't care why. Like, I don't care what your exactly. motivating factor is. If, <laughs> it's all capitalism. They just want more money. They want more money from like, and I'm like, yeah, brown people spend money, right? Like, I want to give you my money. Queer people spend money, right? Like, make the game more welcoming to us. And we will give you your money. Capitalism will win and you will win and everybody will be better. It'll be like, it's like the, the, the positive side effect to the medicine that you have to take. Right. Right. Like it makes the world better place. It makes the world diverse and your pockets get lined. Win, win for everybody. How have they been doing? I don't know, man. <laughs> Watsi is a challenging place. Like I know they're trying, but I don't know. But you know, Here's to trying rhymes with dying is one of the lines from Dragonlance that Sir Markham says when a death knight's tearing him down. Like trying is only so good. You got to like, as, as my dear uh, green brethren once said, do or do not. <laughs> you know, there is no, try, right? Like just deal. You, you can't just sit there and be like, look, we're trying to make it better. I'm like, no, I don't want to try. I want to see you doing better. That's a, and that's, of course, a completely fair stance to have. Um, in in a somewhat similar but not identical vein, there have also been some concerns raised uh, somewhat recently about Watsi committing uh, culturally appropriating things. The most recent example that comes to mind is the card Wandering Archaic from Strixhaven, which a lot of people called out for representing what seemed to be mm. Hindu imagery. Um, do you think those types of concerns overall are are founded or do you think it's people possibly just misinterpreting the attempt of the picture? I regret bringing that up because what it does is it waters down real concerns 
with superficial ones. Like what I should have been saying is like, look, it's okay to have multi-arm things. Things have multiple arms in fantasy. That's fine. What you should be aiming for is to strive to make sure it's not looking like a divinity, like trying to make it not look like it's imitate. Like, I think there's a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite analogies is uh, the kimchi burrito, which uh, we have here in the Bay Area, which is basically the notion is in Korea, they're famous for making pickled vegetables called kimchi. It's amazing. It's delicious. Their immigrants brought them over here. In you know Mexico, they make burritos, wrapped foods and things. And some you know enterprising Mexican and Korean chefs got together and said, hey, what happens if you put your peanut butter in my chocolate? And we got these <laughs> delicious kimchi burritos that celebrate the cultures they come from and don't denigrate them. They're like, hey, look, here's a fusion of the places we're from in this new thing that can only exist here in America where we can blend these things awesomely. That's rad. And then on the other side, you have people selling um, like Palestinian kafias, the scarves they wear with the checks and stuff. And going there and you see all these people in like high level fashion places buying all these Palestinian style scarves while simultaneously, you know, insulting and deriding Muslim women who are wearing like hijabs who are wearing those same scarves properly culturally, which is basically saying, I like your stuff, but I don't like you. And that's what cultural appropriation is. Right. And so a lot of this is not necessarily cultural appropriation as much as it's cultural missteps. It's just, it's not like you're not trying to denigrate the society because you're working out of like, you're coming from a good place. However, you are missing some key signifiers to help you understand. So for instance, there was a legend in Commander Legends, uh, the Naga six-armed one. It's like the the blue-green one that gives Cascade to like right. super mega things. I don't know. It was like 50 sets ago. How do I even remember? <laughs> um, can you believe that that set was like just a few months ago? Oh my gosh. Like, like it's completely absurd. It was what, December, you, I want to say? You see these stupid sets come out and it's just... Huh? It yeah, was, it was what, like December? Emoti. Emoti Celebrant of Bounty. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like December or something. So when you look at Emoti Celebrant of Bounty versus, say, the walking... Uh, what the hell was it called? Uh, oh, um, uh, Wandering uh, Archaic. Wandering, Wandering Archaic. Um... Wandering Archaic, the two-sided card that doesn't have a backside. Um, You look at that, like, here's the problem with these two cards. The Emoti, the Celebrant of Bounty, is literally just a divine figure that you would find in, like, a Cambodian or Southeast Asian Hindu temple or Buddhist temple. Multiple arms, hands in, like, benefactory poses. That is a thing that people would worship. Or, like, if you look at, like, my most egregious example is Oath of Ajani which if I put in my temple and cut away the cart, the card text, I could tell you that's a picture of Narsima, the, the avatar of Vishnu. That's a man lion. And you would believe me because his hand is up in a blessing. He's got a mace <laughs> over his shoulder. It is literally a Hindu God as a magic card. Imodi is sort of like the same way. It's a, not a Hindu God, but it's like a Hindu divine figure that you might see right. dressed up like a magic card. Wandering archaic is just kind of a weird knowledge monster. But it's got those hands in kind of prayer, but its skin's not blue. And so it's just kind of this weird robot thing. 
but it could have just been a random statue. Like, I don't think this is necessarily appropriation. I think I might have been overzealous in that. But they also made some choices here that make me think that perhaps I was actually right to call this out because, like, if you look at the Wandering Archaic artwork, the middle two hands there are mm-hmm. in a folded uh, prayer position, which automatically makes it seem much more like a divinity. And then it's got the flavor text, which is this weird, you know, fortune cookie, fly the path of the nine birds. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so you guys are basically trying to make this into some kind of hippie mumbo jumbo, which turns it in from a random statue into just being like, you know, Johnny Kung Fu, which is like suddenly 1970s black exploitation, And it's even more offensive because now it's like you're combining imagery from the mysterious East with dialogue from the mysterious East. <laughs> and now it's just making us into kooky statues. That's really dumb. All right. Any of those, like if you would change like one or two elements on that, it wouldn't have made a difference. The card would have been totally fine. Nobody would have cared at all. However, by putting them all together, it's the same way that in Aether Revolt, you have that one, a vehicle which has a power 711 711 as a power and toughness it doesn't make a damn difference if that's in ixalan it doesn't make a difference if it's in dominario or in Innistrad. if it's in the india set thank you come again Oof. like deeply unnecessary that is where it's like that's a kind of cultural misstep that having a brown person inside would help you dodge right like that's the sort of thing that which is, like when you look at i mean it's not like they don't do things like this all the time though like consider the most popular card to come out of modern horizons 2 raghavan raghavan the monkey so he's a monkey he's got a hindu name the hindu name even of a deity which most hindu names aren't really let's be real but <laughs> is that appropriation well no that's awesome because it is exactly it's like look it's an Indian monkey. It's a cool monkey. It's doing cool things. It's monkey things. Monkeys are popular in India. Indians have Hindu names. This is fine. This is rad. This is not appropriation. This is the kind of cultural representation I want. Because it's not an awesome card. And it's also not trying to be like, it's not trying to be Hanuman, the god of monkeys. It's not trying to be like, um, you know, a divinity. It's just like the little monkey thief who works out with, you know, Kari Zev. Love him. It's super awesome. That's the kind of thing I want to see more of, right? Like right. more Raghavans, less emojis. Right. All right. Uh, well, that just about does it for our questions. Where can our listeners find you to uh, get more opinions from you or just find your podcast? <laughs> God, after an hour of me just talking straight, do they really want more of me? Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter. Um, like at Gearpuri Gears or at my podcast, Casual Magic, which can be found anywhere the podcasts are. And uh, I'm happy to answer your questions. I also hang out in the Commander Discord uh, all the time. There's a nice community there. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely.